Hello, welcome to the latest NFL Draft podcast from the USA Today Sports Network. I'm your host, Tommy Dees, here in Nashville, Tennessee at the Tennessean as we count down to the 2019 draft, which will take place right here in Nashville. So we are talking with NFL writer Nate Davis from USA Today. How are you doing, Nate? I'm good, Tommy. Thanks for having me. Glad to do it. And uh, let's just start with this this draft class. Uh, how deep is it and, and how good is it? What what are the strengths and weaknesses as you see it? Yeah, I think I think we all kind of see it as a, it, it's strong on the uh, it, it, particularly on the defensive line, front seven, those kind of guys. Um, I think you could probably see, you know, 21, 22, that many kind of guys on the defensive side go in the first round. Uh, if you're looking for sex appeal uh, in terms of, of quarterbacks and, uh, you know, guys that are going to be on your fantasy team, uh, probably not as much appeal there. I mean, certainly uh, Kyler Murray has uh, treated everyone. Um, but aside that, you're probably not going to see too many running backs or wide receivers uh, that have a whole lot of name recognition. Well, let's talk about Kyler Murray for a second because he may end up being the the number one overall pick. He he has done some workouts at various things at various places. He's been measured once, uh, I believe, at 5'10". There have been quarterbacks in that height range who've made it, but there have been a lot more who haven't. Um, what What do you see in him? Yeah, I kind of see, you know, I think the Russell Wilson comparison uh, is fair, Tommy. He bulked up to, uh, Kyler Murray has bulked up to uh, over 200 pounds, I think 207 at the combine and maybe 205 for his pro day. But, you know, I think if you've got that kind of heft and you're the kind of guy that, you know, avoids a whole lot of direct hits, and certainly that's one of the great things Russell Wilson does in the NFL is he knows how to get to that first down stick or get out of bounds before he takes a big hit. And I think Kyler Murray's got that same kind of – um, ability to, to not take too much punishment, you know, I think you're okay. And as people say, if you've been a short quarterback your whole life, it's nothing new to you. Um, you know, I think you stand deep enough in the pocket or understand the throwing lanes. You're not going to get an inordinate amount of passes batted down. Uh, and then you just look at the production, you know, the 54 combined touchdowns uh, for Oklahoma last year, um, obviously leading to the Heisman Trophy uh, and the kind of dynamic athleticism that can make you a real threat uh, in the pros, and certainly in the right kind of offense. And I think that's where we all kind of see Kyler Murray fitting pretty well in the Cliff Kingsbury's air raid. And, and I think the other thing that works to his advantage, um, I think if you're a young quarterback uh, and you can make plays with your legs when that first read and that second read break down, I think you're much better off um, learning that way uh, and having that escapability than being a guy like, say, Dwayne Haskins, where from Ohio State, if your first and second read aren't there, uh, there's a good chance you're going to get pummeled in the pocket. So, um, I think I think a lot of things are lining up to, to suggest that Kyler Murray might be just fine, you know, at five ten and two hundred plus pounds if he goes to the right team. Do you think there's still any baseball stigma there, any worry on the part of, of the key NFL teams who might take him that he might use this just for more leverage in baseball or or do you think he's hundred percent committed to football? I mean Kyler says he's hundred percent committed and that that's what we've heard, you know, from all of his actions, from what he told us at the combine um, and the fact that he didn't go to spring training with the A's, uh, you know, if this football thing doesn't work out in the short term, you know, you know, you kind of wonder two or three years, two or three years from now, did he decide to make a switch and go back to Oakland? Um, you know, it could be, I mean, maybe he'll have options in the future. Uh, maybe he'll have options when it comes to contract time, but I think the longer he stays out of the, out of the baseball world, uh, the more committed he'll be by definition to the football world. Um, and, you know, I just think this is where it's going. It seems like this is where his true love is. Uh, and I think he's kind of shown by what he's done in the last few months that, you know, I wouldn't worry if I was an NFL team. Uh, and if he doesn't play well, you know, you're probably only too glad to let him go to the baseball world. 
Right, and of course you're talking about a team with the first overall pick right now who's already invested in a first-round quarterback that they traded up to get. Um, so so that's, you know, the intrigue. Quarterbacks are always kind of boom or bust, and, and I think most GMs are loath to be the one who let a real good quarterback go. So you see some guys who, are, who become busts that get drafted early. Uh, what other quarterbacks do you see that, that you think – are NFL prospects that you think can really make it? And, and are there any deeper in the draft that are worth taking a pass on? Yeah, I think and there's probably going to be, you know, in addition to Murray, uh, there's probably an, an, at least three guys uh, that they'll go in the first round, or I guess I should say including Murray. You know, I think Dwayne Haskins, we all kind of thought he was a top 10 pick, um, like Murray, kind of a one-year wonder at Ohio State, and the, the Big Ten record, 50 touchdown passes last year. Um, you know, as I mentioned, he's not nearly the athlete uh, that Kyler Murray is, so he's going to have to be at a place where he gets good protection, probably has a good running game, uh, and, and doesn't go to a place, you know, as you kind of alluded to, like Josh Rosen, where he's kind of got to do it all by himself in his rookie year. But I think he's got some, some decent tools. You know, I kind of worry that not a whole lot of guys that come out of an Urban Meyer offense and thrive in the NFL. Uh, Alex Smith is probably the best example uh, to this point. But um, Dwayne Haskins is an intriguing prospect. Uh, Drew Locke from Missouri is another one. Um, had, a, had a real nice year in 2017. Um, I think he was the SEC Offensive Player of the Year, something to that effect. But uh, uh, he, not as good a season in 2018. Uh, has some accuracy issues. Uh, really, uh, you know, not, not, a little worried about his consistency right now. Uh, but a really, really impressive arm talent. Probably kind of guy you'd like to redshirt for a year uh, in the NFL before you threw him out there. So you kind of wonder if he uh, would be a good option for teams like Miami, uh, Washington in the middle of the first round. Uh, yeah, but beyond that, the names, you know, Daniel Jones, kind of a split opinion on him coming out of Duke. Uh, you know, good athlete, a smart guy. He's worked with David Cut- Cutcliffe, who is, of course, the, uh, the paid man, the Eli Manning whisperer out there in Durham. Um, not a, not a big arm, but seems to be an intelligent guy. Seems to be a pretty good athlete, certainly more so than the Mannings. Uh, I think he's probably another one of those maybe mid first round, maybe second round kind of projects that you don't want to throw out there right away. And then beyond that, you know, Ryan Finley at NC State, I, I, I don't think he's around one guy. He maybe he, he gets into day two uh, of the draft. Uh, I'm not sure if he, maybe he could be a starter at the next level. Um, but I, I don't know how much upside he's got. Uh, Tyree Jackson at Buffalo, that's certainly a guy with major upside. Talking about six foot seven, 250 pounds. I think he ran a four six forty at the combine. Now that being said, he's really raw. Uh, certainly a guy that would, would be on your bench for a number of years before he was ready to play. Uh, you know, Daniel Jeremiah of NFL Network mentioned Logan Thomas in relation to him, the former Virginia Tech quarterback who eventually became a tight end. Uh, so he's definitely one of those guys that could be a boomer bust kind of prospect. Right, and and let's uh, let's get back to the strength of this draft, which is is along the defensive front in particular. I think. Um, how, how do you rate those guys? Um, who who are the most can't miss of of those, and who do you have most questions about? Well, you know, I hate putting the can't miss label on anybody. You know, there's certainly great depth with these guys. I think probably the closest, I guess, to can't miss would be a, uh, I guess, would be Josh or excuse me, Nick Bosa at Ohio State. Uh, but I mean, I guess that also depends on how you define can't miss. I mean, does that mean he's going to be a solid pro for six or eight or 10 years? I mean, I think he could probably be that. He can probably be in the same category as his brother, uh, Joey. He's been a very good, good NFL player so far, a one time pro bowler. Um, can he be better than that? You know, we'll, we'll find out. Uh, I think Quentin Williams, you know, some people regard him as the number one player in this whole draft, uh, coming out of Alabama. 
uh, and really not all that highly touted a player uh, at Alabama before his 2018 season. But I think in terms of a guy who's who's really a you know an amazing athlete, six three and more than 300 pounds, uh, moves really well. Uh, could probably play multiple spots on your line and, and create havoc inside and outside. Um, yeah, I think you can make a case that he could be uh, he could be the top guy on, on many people's boards, and then certainly you're going to see him go in the top five. Uh, you know, beyond that, you got all the guys coming out of Clemson, Christian Wilkins, Cleveland Farrell, Dexter Lawrence. Um, just up and down the board, up and down the board, you're going to find a lot of guys uh, that, that are going to be playing somewhere in the front seven on Sundays and early on in their rookie years. And, and that that would look to be the positions where maybe a, a team drafted in the second half of the first round might might actually strike gold. Well, I think so. You know, I think I think in terms of, of value for this kind of position, you know, if you're drafting late in the, late in the first round, or you know, even if, if the board comes back to you early in the second round, you're probably going to find some some guys in these front seven kind of positions that in other years would would be top ten picks uh, that you might be able to get. Like you said, at the end of round one or early in round two or whatever. So, I mean, uh, certainly on the supply side, um, a lot of these guys, uh, and I think also it's going to help a lot of these guys uh, when the draft comes because there weren't a whole lot of those kind of guys um, in free agency. Um, there are a few of those guys that are you know still unsigned right now, but I think that also speaks uh, to uh, the fact that teams think they can solve that kind of problem at the draft time. I mean, you look at the Raiders and obviously uh, – you know, the controversial decision to trade Khalil Mack last year, uh, they still haven't really uh, replaced him despite making a lot of big moves in free agency. So, I mean, that's a team that, you know, you can see, you know, the Raiders have four of the top 35 picks in the draft. It would shock me uh, if they try to get two pass rushers, uh, you know, in, in those first, you know, 35 picks. So, uh, good good chance to get a guy here if you're any of those teams looking for defense help. Yeah, and, and you've got a couple of um, guys who are really highly rated um, who've had – I guess health questions or, or injury come up out of Mississippi State. What, how, how does that impact their draft status? You think? Yeah, well, a couple of issues with the Mississippi State guys. You know, Montez Sweat uh, had a fantastic combine, set a, set a modern record for defensive lineman, running a four four one forty. A lot of people view him as a top ten, uh, maybe even a top five kind of pick. Uh, kind of came out this, you know, recently that uh, he had maybe a bit of a heart murmur, but. Uh, I don't think it's going to drop him all that far, if at all. Uh, I think it's it's important to note that he was allowed to participate in the combine, so um, what, whatever red flag there was in his medical wasn't enough to disqualify him um, um, from being out there on the field and doing the drills. So I think he'll be okay. Uh, another guy from Mississippi State was the Jeffrey Simmons, who, uh, who wasn't actually invited to the combine because he had a you know an issue. Um, striking a woman back when he was in high school. Uh, you know, by all accounts, he was a model citizen while he was in Starkville. Uh, by all accounts, you know, he probably ought to be a top ten, uh, and again, maybe maybe a top five kind of pick. Uh, unfortunately for Simmons, um, he, he tore his ACL during training in February, so uh, he's going to be a bit of a, a projection. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if some team in the second half of the first round decides his value is too good to pass up. Um, if he doesn't land in the first round, I think he's the kind of guy, you know, you think about Jalen Smith at Notre Dame a few years ago. Uh, he's the kind of guy that if you get him in the second round, you probably got a real good investment and maybe a steal, uh, assuming that nothing goes wrong with ACL or rehab. Right, and those two guys also have really good tape um, on them from Mississippi State playing against high-level people, so so they're not completely unknown quantities on, on what they can do on the field. And and let me ask you that, how much – how what do – what do you think the mix is that, that most, I guess every team does it different, but how do you view the mix between tape 
what a guy's actually done on a football field and measurement what they do in a combine setting or a senior bowl or a et, et cetera, a pro day. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's funny, Tommy. I mean, this whole thing kind of runs the same cycle uh, every year. You kind of have your, your preconceived notions um, going into the combine, and then, and then certain guys will, will do fantastic things at the combine, the underwear Olympics, you know, whether, whether it's running, jumping, or on-field drills, or, or whatever. And, and that tends to help some guys stock and, and, and uh, ends up you know, with a lot of guys, you know, Quentin Williams being one of them. Um, that really don't have to do anything at, at their pro day because they've already shown kind of athletes they are at the combine, uh, and they got they've got the good tape to, to fall back on. Um, pro days can help guys that that didn't have a great combine. Uh, they can also also some guys are so competitive that they want to go ahead and work out at their at their pro day to to show again that you know they're not afraid of competition or they want to improve that forty yard dash you know time by uh, you know point oh five seconds or whatever it is. But I think when all you know all is said and done, once teams really start digging in and doing their final evaluations uh, early in April, leading up to the draft, I mean the, the main the main indicator and the main the main thing on every guy's resume is almost always going to be what his tape shows. You know, did he do it against um, smaller competition? Did he do it you know against SEC level competition uh, or whatever? I mean, it, it's all it's all a big picture that, that you make over the course of time, and every component kind of feeds into it. Uh, but I don't think there's any talent evaluator uh, or guy in the NFL front office that would tell you that the number one uh, factor that they all weigh is how well does this guy look on tape. Yeah, and that also shows effort and consistent effort and, and how, how, how high the motor runs with a guy who's maybe physically talented, but if the tape shows up, they say tape doesn't lie, um, that, that he doesn't play hard every play, I'm sure that's noted. Yeah, it definitely is, and certainly it's much easier to put a – a certain amount of effort and training for the combine and, and show up there. Um, but yeah, like you said, the tape, the tape doesn't lie. Uh, you know, everybody takes plays off here and there. And I think sometimes defensive linemen are even encouraged by their coaches to, to be, uh, um, strategic about that when a play is run away from you or, or, or whatever and, and save it for uh, a time when we really need it. But, uh, everyone realizes this, uh, and, and, and those kind of things. But, um, yeah, I mean, again, the tape doesn't lie, and that's really going to show where the guys are going. I think in most cases. Yeah, let me let me change the discussion a little bit because you mentioned the Raiders. I, I would guess they are poised to um, be able to improve themselves the most in the draft, uh, given the number of picks and, and where they're located. What teams do you think that that are just based on on how many picks they have and where those picks are spread out have the have the best chance to have the big drafts? Well, you know, yeah, you mentioned the Raiders, so, so did I. I mean, people are definitely focused on those three first-round picks. They have picks on the trades of Khalil Mack and Amari Cooper last year. Uh, I think a lot of people forget they also have that number 35 pick, which is essentially, you know, a late first-round pick. So, uh, yeah, John John Gruden and Mike Mayock have uh, a lot of options to either, you know, bring in four quality players um, or they have the option to, to kind of bundle some of those picks and then maybe try to move up. You know, there are, there are certainly rumors out there that John Gruden is in love with Kyler Murray. Um, you know, and, and maybe if, if, in fact the Arizona Cardinals are just building a huge smoke screen uh, around that pick uh, in an effort to trade it later. Uh, and they're happy with Josh Rosen. We'll, we'll see. But um, uh, if nothing else, you know, the Raiders have options. Uh, they, they've got good players in free agency. They filled some holes there. Uh, and now they can target certain guys in the draft. Um, Pretty much, you know, how are they, how are they choose to? Um, other teams, I think that you look at in that vein, uh, the Green Bay Packers and the New York Giants both have two first round picks. The Giants, of course, recently picking up their second first rounder 
with the trade of Odell Beckham. And um, they're, they're a hard team to pay. You know, their their GM Dave Gettleman, uh says a lot, but but his his words can. He, I think he says a lot of things and to leave open how to interpret what he's saying. I mean, he said at the combine that they didn't re-sign Odell Beckham just to trade him. Um, yeah, I think he believes what he said was true. Of course, you know, he then ends up, winds up trading him. Uh, so no idea what they're going to do. And now you're kind of hearing the stuff that maybe, you know, they're not interested in the quarterback at number six um, after passing on the opportunity to draft one last year and going with Saquon Barkley or at least draft one in the first round. So uh, we'll, we'll see what, what they end up doing. But I think the Giants are going to be a real uh, intriguing team to watch. Um, and the Colts, too. I believe the Colts have have a couple picks in the second round based on their uh, their deal with the Jets last year uh, in the Sam Darnold basic deal. So the Colts, Colts are a team that's going to have uh, three picks in the top the top 59, basically. And they're an up-and-coming team, um, one to watch. So I, th- I think those are, those are a few to keep your eye on. Right. Which which guys have you seen? And, and, and the way I look at it, you know, the, the process to the draft kind of goes through the college season, and then there's – for the upperclassmen, the senior bowl, and then there are the other all-star games. Then there's obviously the combine and then the pro day. And at the time we speak, everyone hasn't had their pro day, but many of the bigger schools have. Who who have you seen that, that you thought really improved themselves through the process after the college season ends? And and are there any that, that you think have fallen a little or fallen into free fall even? Uh, you know, I think probably the one guy I think of immediately right now that that maybe in a bit of a free fall mode was Jakai Polite uh, at, at Florida. He kind of said some uh, some wacky things at the combine. I was kind of upset with some, some teams that were clearly trying to kind of get inside his head and show him some bad tape and ask him to explain it. Uh, and then he goes out and he runs a four eight forty. So I think he's kind of off most people's boards in terms of, of a first round value right now. I think uh, Greedy Williams, the LSU cornerback. Um, he's, he's a bit of a polarizing guy, you know, not, the, not the strongest guy, um, maybe not the greatest change of direction guy, but certainly a guy with great speed, uh, who comes out of, you know, Baton Rouge, which has a, has a, an impressive track history of, of improve, of producing great cornerbacks. So, um, those are two guys, uh, but you know, also, you know, in terms of guys that have, have improved their stock, um, since the college season, you know, I mentioned Mont- Montez Sweat, who had a great senior bowl week, uh, and, and then the great combine. Um, you know, kind of Kyler Murray just by simply declaring for uh, for the draft and, and and giving up baseball for for the time being, obviously has he has his arrow steadily pointing up, up and up to the point where you now expect him to be the uh, number one pick. Uh, other guys that had really good combines: Paris Campbell, wide receiver from Ohio State; Garrett Bradbury, the NC State center; uh, and Rocky Sin, you know, cornerback from Temple. Uh, all those guys, I think, have definitely improved their stock in the last six weeks or so. Okay, and let, let's talk about some guys who might might be in the second or third day. So we're talking two through seven rounds, and there's two enormous a number of prospects to to list them. But but who who do you find intriguing that you think might be be around? Whether because they had maybe one good season, or maybe because they had a really remarkable workout somewhere, or just a unique skill set, maybe a change of position. And and these aren't guys that are necessarily going to be sleepers who hit. For, for a team, but, but guys that you just think are really intriguing. Yeah. You know, I mentioned Tyree Jackson, the Buffalo, you know, he's, he's a guy that intrigues just based on his, uh, his skill set. So I'll be curious kind of uh, where he goes, if he goes to a system where he's got a good draft and develop kind of environment, particularly uh, a, a quarterback kind of guru guy, you know, does he wind up with a guy like a Bruce Arians or a, or a Sean McVay or somebody that can kind of uh, bring him along, develop him, 
uh, without the pressure of having to play him right away. So, you know, he's, he's one guy. Uh, I think Nikhil Harry, the wide receiver from Arizona State, uh, I don't know how much of a sleeper he's going to be. He's another one of those guys who's, who's really come along, um, I think, nicely in the last couple of weeks. And, you know, maybe he's on that borderline of being a day one, day two guy. Uh, but, you know, I think I think a lot of guys like him, you know, I mentioned there's not a whole lot of top-tier receivers in this draft. But I think guys like Nikhil Harry, you know, one guy to keep an eye on is Andy Isabella, a uh, UMass receiver who who was a, uh, you know, I think, a champion sprinter in high school at Ohio State. Uh, you know, there's that famous footage of him beating uh, Browns cornerback Denzel Ward uh, in the 100 and 200, I believe, in high school. And Denzel Ward, of course, first-round pick last year with 4-3 combine speed. So I think Andy Isabella, you know, by virtue of the fact he played at UMass, is going to be a name uh, not a whole lot of people are aware of. Uh, those that are, I've heard comparisons to Danny Amendola, guys like that, Julian Edelman. Um, I think those are kind of unfair. I think that's kind of the easy white guy, you know, kind of a comparison. I think he's a much better athlete than those guys. Could be a good slot receiver, uh, but certainly has more game-breaking uh, ability than some of those guys do. Uh, so those are some guys to keep an eye on. Uh, O'Shane Dominguez, a defensive end at Old Dominion. Uh, if I have my facts straight, I don't know that Old Dominion has produced uh, an NFL player yet. They're a fairly new program uh, in terms of college football down in Norfolk, Virginia. Uh, but he's another guy that, that, that could be a one to watch. Um, and then just in terms of value, you know, on day two, day three, you know, Jalen Ferguson uh, is another guy who, with some off-field issues. Um, but college football's all-time leading sacker. I believe he had 45 sacks for, for Louisiana Tech. It's going to be kind of interesting to see what kind of environment he ends up uh, and how, how productive he's able to be given what he did put on tape uh, in college and uh, who's going to take a chance on him. Can we just assume that the Patriots are going to take Hunter Renfro? Uh, he fits yeah, the profile. Interesting. I hadn't thought about that. Uh, you know, uh, you're talking to you from Nashville. I mean, uh, everything we're hearing is that the Patriots were, were really trying to get Adam Humphreys before he decided to, uh, to, to to go in with the Titans instead of going to New England. But, uh, yeah, yeah, that, that, that's, a, that's an interesting one to think about. So it wouldn't surprise me at all if that happens. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think people have assumed that since he was about a sophomore in college, which seems mm-hmm. to be about eight years ago, as, as most of us recollect. Uh, he's certainly been on the scene. There, there's a guy. There's a lot of tape on. Yeah, yeah, for 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 sure. And then obviously the Patriots. Um, you know, they're the kind of team that doesn't look at your value probably based on the way most NFL teams do. They look at like, hey, what do you, what do you do well, uh, and how can we use that uh, to our advantage? You know, we don't necessarily need you to run a uh, four four forty or, or jump forty inches or all that. You know, that you know, just just be who you are and. and you know, if I think uh, if, if there's probably any place on a run for I would want to go, I would probably be a good candidate. Let me throw one more position at you. Uh, we haven't discussed running back yet. Uh, uh, early on and through most of the pre-draft process, uh, Josh Jacobs at Alabama is a guy who, who most people figure is the number one guy overall. I don't think he really um, had the fastest time as, as people might have liked to have seen at his pro day. Do you think, think he could slip from that? And, and what other running backs do you see and where do you see him? Yeah, I had a chance to talk to Josh Jacobs a little bit uh, at, at the combine, um, you know, and I and frankly talked to quite a few of his teammates about him. And then the Alabama guys couldn't say enough nice things about Josh Jacobs. They they appreciated um, how how violently he runs. The fact that he he's more than just a runner. He he really catches the ball well. Uh, you know, you, you you go back and look at some of his tape. You, you'll find you'll find plays where he's a uh, out there being a lead blocker for some of his teammates. So. Um, you know, I don't think it certainly isn't the second coming to Saquon Barkley. Uh, and it's interesting that, that he's got so much hype around him, given that 
I think he was Alabama's third leading rusher uh, in 2018. But uh, the people who do like him will kind of throw the Alvin Kamara comp at you and say, you know, hey, sometimes it works out to your advantage uh, that, that you didn't lose a whole lot of tread off your tires in college. You kind of come into the NFL fresh, uh, and he's kind of a, a perfect example of that. Um, you know, his teammate Damian Harris uh, is going to be another highly drafted running back, I think, in least in terms of guys that are probably going to go sometime in the second or third round. Uh, but but I think Josh Jacobs, you know, I, I can't imagine that, that he's going to get past, you know, say the Raiders at 24, the Eagles at 25, uh, given both of those teams really have, have key running back needs uh, right now. Um, other guys to look at, Devin Singletary at Florida at Atlantic, um, you know, Miles Sanders at Penn State. So uh, I think like every year, the, the general vibe, well, not every year, but I feel like the last couple of years, the general vibe is most teams are willing to kind of wait for running backs um, day two, day three, they kind of view it as um, you don't want to say an expendable position, but, but certainly you can you can amass depth there. Uh, and also just by looking at free agency, you know, given how how uh, poorly paid most of those guys were, uh, even Le'Veon Bell, who was clearly expecting a lot more money um, than the thirteen and a half million uh, that he got, uh, it, it's just not a position that NFL teams generally put a huge premium on either uh, in terms of free agency compensation uh, or, or draft value. And it's very rare that guys like Saquon Barkley come along. And, um, I think I think you put the over-under on guys going in the first round this year probably at once. Yeah, and that, that seems to have been the direction that the league has gone there. Let me ask you one more thing, and then, and then we'll wrap this segment up. Um, what do you think, I, I guess, within the league as far as the GMs and the brain trust, they wouldn't care if the draft was held on the moon. They, they're focused on that. What do you think the league itself and, and maybe the fan bases think about the draft coming to Nashville? What are, what are your expectations, and, and what have you seen when it's been at other locations? Well, I think it's a great opportunity for Nashville to put on a show. You know, I've, I've got family there. You know, I think having that nice compact downtown kind of venue will make for a great um, fan, fan experience. You know, some of my favorite Super Bowls are, are places that are really walkable, uh, like New Orleans, you know, Indianapolis uh, was a fantastic Super Bowl, even though I don't think most people think of Indianapolis as a destination city, particularly uh, in February. But um, I fully expect that Nashville is going to put on uh, a, a great show, um, you know, given the fact that it's probably not the kind of place that's ever going to be um, in major contention for a Super Bowl. I think this is a real chance to, to showcase itself uh, as, a, as a great and underrated uh, NFL city. So I think I think the people that make the trip there that want to be a part of it are really going to enjoy it. You know, and, and bigger picture, I think the NFL has really done a good job making the draft into more of a, a showcase uh, fan, participation, fan participation kind of event the past few years. I mean, it was the big hit in Chicago, the big hit in Philadelphia, and I think uh, they've done a good job getting it out of New York and getting it out of Radio City Music Hall and, and making it just a uh, a bigger, broader event that's interactive and, and really uh, is, there's a lot to do and a lot more to see over the course of three days uh, than just doing it from a, from a stage in New York uh, and calling names like, like you would at your, your fantasy draft. Right. They've made it an event and not just a TV show, it seems like. Yeah, I mean, that, that's definitely the way it's gone. And then there definitely appears to be kind of a, a, a spirit of one-upsmanship now as, as it moves around the country. You know, uh, it was... a. Uh, Jerry Jerry Jones did it up big in Dallas last year, and it's crazy to see that you know fifty thousand people, or however many it was, uh, would, would show up to AT and T Stadium to, to watch the draft. But um, it certainly appears like it was a huge success there, and then and now now it moves on, on to, to Nashville. I'll be curious to see what it looks like. I mean, it was cool seeing the way that they they set it up 
at the Philadelphia Art Museum a few years ago, uh, and basically had it in the heart of Philadelphia. So it really kind of, uh, you know, unlike a Super Bowl, I think it presents more opportunities uh, to, to, to showcase it in a way that, that also emphasizes uh, what your city's about and what you have to offer. So I think a uh, great opportunity for Nashville, and I have every expectation that they're going to capitalize on it. Well, thank you, Nate Davis. We appreciate you coming on, and I'm um, looking forward to probably talking to you again as the draft gets closer. Okay, anytime, Tommy. Thanks for having me. And that's it for our second episode of our NFL Draft Podcast from the USA Today Sports Network. I'm Tommy Dees, your host. We hope you will leave us a comment or a rating if you've enjoyed it or if you have a criticism, you can do that too. But we'll be back with another episode next week with more news, analysis, and opinion as we count down to the NFL Draft.